Everybody, it's another episode of Peekappy Podcast, Pokemon anime podcast, and all that jazz going through each episode of the series. Today, we're kind of diverging a little because we're back into the Chronicles episodes. This is an episode where Ash Ketchum does not appear once. He is mentioned a little bit, he does have some effect, but we're gonna go follow Brock for a bit and <laughs> family issues. But in talking about the Chronicles episodes, it was pointed out on the blog that somehow in the in the process of doing all these episodes, I seemed to, to have forgot some things. Like, say, Snorlax Snowman and I think Delibird's Dilemma. Those two Pokemon shorts. And then there was also this one weird episode involving the Pichu Bros that you, like, saw as part of a video game. Like, if Pikachu turned on the TV, he would watch, like, pieces of this episode, and if you put them all together, you got a full little story. And I think, like, Wobbuffet was, like, in a VTR or something. It was... I feel bad for missing those. I thought I was on board with all that, but I, I guess I wasn't. It got lost in the shuffle. But that's okay. It is not the first time this podcast has had to go out of order in order to save something. And since I still have to record movie two, it's not going to be the last. I'm not planning to get those up immediately, so I hope nobody was, like, waiting on the edge of their seats to figure out what happened to Snorlax. But I will get them done. As, as we're building up the old links and everything, I'll see if I can't try to get them in the order they were meant to be, so at least the feed is accurate when I get the new ones set up. In the meantime, let's talk Pokemon movies for a bit. PokePress recently put up a video about the Diamond and Pearl Blu-ray release. It's a DVD that collects all four of the Diamond and Pearl movies on, on Blu-ray. If you didn't know that that happened, like, don't worry, I, I didn't either. I think I saw a copy of one in a store not too long ago, but it doesn't sound like there was a whole lot of like advertising or promotion that this release was happening. But if you've been thinking about adding Diamond and Pearl movies to your collection, or you've been wondering what all is included on the Blu-ray, this might be an interesting video to check out. Steven does an unboxing video, and you can see the cover, and what's on it, and what are the features. All good consumer info that you want to know before you start ordering things off the internet. I'm really curious as to what the movies look like on Blu-ray. We should all get over on YouTube and pester Steven to do like a follow-up report. Because my copy of movie 10, the Darkrai movie, it, it isn't a Blu-ray, but it looks so gorgeous on my little bitty TV screen. 
like some of the older Pokemon movies, you know, the Blu-ray doesn't really do it any favors, which sometimes happens with older properties. Like, like the it is a bit crisper and the colors are a bit brighter, but like, there's only so much enhancement you can do before like the flaws in the older mediums start becoming apparent. But movies that were made much more recently, like the Diamond and Pearl era, I'd be really interested in knowing someone's opinion on, you know, what the difference is if it makes it more enjoyable. Because like I said, my my regular copy of Movie 10 looks fantastic. It's a beautiful movie, the the colors and the mood lighting. and And it is one of the better integrations, I think, between a lot of the 3D effects and the more two-dimensional drawings as well. And with a lot of the reverse world effects in movie 11, I believe, that too might look very cool with the Blu-ray. So yeah, if this is something that interests you, um, you should head on over to PokePress on YouTube or at pokepress.blogspot.com. PokePress also does a lot of interviews and like coverage of Pokemon events, all sorts of fun stuff. Whatever part of the Pokemon fandom like interests you, I, I guarantee PokePress has a video about it. But I think it's especially worth your time to like scroll through some of the merchandising and uh, unboxing videos and like see if there's something there that catches your attention because Stephen's collection is very impressive. Like he just He's been able to track down a lot of Pokemon release information and Pokemon merchandise from many different sources in different countries that if you also have a Pokemon collection, be it a DVD collection or a music collection or whatever, that information could be very useful to you as you're looking for new stuff to add to your collection or curating your future Pokemon version of Rancho Obi-Wan. I'm sure someone's going to do it someday. There's probably some otaku somewhere who has enough stuff to get that started. Uh, but anyway, let us move on to our main episode. Um, it wasn't all that long ago that we said goodbye to Brock and Misty, um, each of our three-member traveling party finally going their separate ways. Ash went home to Pallet Town. Misty went to Cerulean City. And Brock went home to Pewter City. And while Ash and Pikachu decided to take a honeymoon to the Hoenn region and have their near-death experience instead, Brock was traveling on the dusty road north. So let's stop in with him, shall we? Um, this is where the Chronicles episodes, or Pokemon Sunday, really started to get fun because they corresponded to what was going on in the main show. And oh, how I wish we got more of that now. I mean... I could watch The Amazing Adventures of Dentokun for hours, and now that I've gotten to know them, Clement and Bonnie and their wonderful dad, like, yes, give me more of that. Like, just because Ash has left them doesn't mean that we need to stop talking about them. And the rival contest characters, like Harley and Conway, like, I'd love to see them get some more moments. And, oh, what's Gary been doing for the last couple years? Given his track record, he probably had some massive evolutions as a human being while no one was writing scripts about him. But anyway, this episode focuses on Brock, and it's titled, The Family That Battles Together Stays Together. Brock finally crosses the town boundaries into Pewter City, and as he does, an old man in a red toque cautions him to turn back. Terrible things happen here. 
It's very familiar. Ash had a similar experience when he first came to this town. But Brock's not phased. He's like, what are you doing, Dad? And immediately we see that all is not exactly well in their relationship. I mean, Brock was remarkably quick to let things go when his dad first returned all those episodes ago. Um, but just because he didn't have a big chew-out scene with his absent father, it, it doesn't mean there's no underlying tension. Brock's like, what do you mean, leave? You're the one always writing me and telling me to come home. Why are you being back to a hobo on the side of the road? And the answer is given in the form of a question. Do you remember how truly glorious the Pewter City Gym used to be back when you were running it? And that makes Brock a bit nervous. He's like, what happened to the gym? And Dad says, your mother happened. Well. Now, if you watched this in English, your first thought might be, like, wasn't she dead? That is what Flint told us. But as in the Japanese script, which really wouldn't have ever been relevant if not for this episode, uh, turns out Mom was just gone. She just kind of up and left to pursue other things. It is a little bit of a retcon for the Japanese as well, because the details about Brock's mom leaving were never quite as fleshed out, and it was kind of intentionally left vague, like you almost kind of assumed it might have been a Molly Hale sort of situation, where, like, you know, that mom was institutionalized. Like, without knowing the full story, we could kind of maybe feel some sympathy for her, or, you know, maybe there were some extenuating circumstances whatever. But now that we know that she literally just got up and left because she got bored, it, like, there, there's no sympathy anymore. As for the English side, I, again, I read comic books, retcons happened. I'm willing to headcanon that Flint was just lying so that Ash would feel sorry for him. Or, or possibly it was less embarrassing to say she died than that she left her near dozen children alone so she could go off pursuing random hobbies. In any case, uh, she's back now. And she spruced up the sparse Spartan rock gym with a hedge and a flower garden. Brock is determined to face the horror of what might be waiting inside, but to do that, he has to face his mother. And like with his father, there's some unresolved issues there. And this is kind of an interesting moment because... In the series, as far as the audience knows, this is the first time Brock has seen his mom since she left. The way the scene plays out implies that it's not the case. Like, Brock isn't having a big reaction. Like, what do you mean mom's back? Kind of a thing. I thought she would never come back. It seems he's adjusted to the situation of where he might come home and maybe mom is actually in the vicinity. So it kind of implies that maybe this miraculous return happened while he was in the Orange Islands. Whether he traveled home for a weekend and dealt with that issue, or whether it all happened over Skype calls, whatever. Like, he's not having the reactions you would have if a parent, like, just suddenly appeared back in your life. So that's interesting. And again, why we need to have more of these offshoot episodes, because... That's a confrontation that would have been interesting to see. Um, but for now, like I said, it seems kind of not entirely out of the realm of normal for his mom to be in the living room. And when he sees her, he says, it's nothing out of the ordinary. 
His mom is her usual bubbly, flaky self. His brothers and sisters seem none the worse for wear. Like, maybe his dad's overreacting. But no. When Brock finally sees the inside of the gym, that's when he starts to lose his cool. And it's so fun watching him crack. Like, we've seen Brock keep this cool, almost underwhelmed head in any situation that didn't involve a girl. And now he's got this gym with streamers and yellow stars and a giant lake where the rock types would normally be battling. Like, his mom has basically turned this into a poor man's cerulean gym, and Brock's voice just, like, goes up three octaves as he loses his ever-loving mind. It's delightful. But, you know, there's all this water because mom is a water Pokemon trainer, and she went out and caught a bunch of new water-type Pokemon. Which would be impressive, but, you know, she's not the gym leader. The guy who is the gym leader just has no spine. And Brock, uh, supported by his younger brother Forrest, orders his dad to get up off the floor. You're going to battle mom for the gym. Fight for something in your life. Forrest had a line, actually. Uh, he said, it's kind of sad. If you won't fight for your gym, what will you fight for in life? Which is, which is doubly sad when you consider that all of the things, of all the things these two parents have done, the one thing that they have definitely not fought for or prioritized at all is their kids. So this may be step one to a new, more assertive dad who may actually become a better parent. One can only hope. And thus begins the battle. Mom versus dad. Person who wins decides the type and decoration of the Pokemon gym. And what type of Pokemon all their kids are now going to specialize in because this is the family business. Now the brothers and sisters are like, well, we're doomed. I mean, because mom has water Pokemon versus dad's rock types, and this is dad we're talking about. Uh, Flint as well thinks he has no shot, even in a reverse dimension. Uh, but Brock's like, let me tell you all a story that all but one of you should remember. That kid I traveled with, Ash... What Pokemon did he challenge the Rock-type gym with? All the Rock-types, who were, by the way, also Ground-types. And did he win? Oh, yes, he did. A technicality, but using the physical structure of the Pokemon gym as a weapon is now considered legal, possibly due to the immense pioneering that Ash has done in that area of unconventional terrain tactics. <laughs> Um, but again, he came into the building with a Pikachu, he left with a gym badge. You've got to have enough faith in yourself or you'll never find a solution. It's a beautiful call to arms, great speech. Like, you want to call yourself a gym leader, then you get out there and fight. So we're going to battle Mom for the gym, a one-on-one -on -one battle. Mom doesn't seem worried. She goes with Meryl first. A solid choice for all those rock types. Like, uh, Flint's Golem who comes out of its Pokeball and has to balance on this teeny tiny boulder in the middle of the pool. And Forrest is like, this is our future, guys, crumbling before our eyes. And it's doubly awkward because of all the weird parent flirting. No kid wants to see that. Um, but that interaction maybe does something for old Flint. He seems to have a bit of confidence now with the support of his lady. Um, and is all, watch this, kids! He has Golem use Earthquake which is a move that will disturb the water of the pool and make it harder for Meryl to swim and navigate. 
cutting off its field advantage. So, nice work, and it makes me think that maybe Brock's dad isn't such a bad trainer after all. Like, he's nothing amazing, but it seems he has the basic knowledge of effective battle strategy, and, and you know, he can counter the type his team is weak against. He's, he's done some work in that area. And maybe the problems that kept him from succeeding as a solo trainer were more mental, like can't handle the pressure and, and bouncing back from defeat and all that. Basically, he might be Ash in reverse, like he has actual knowledge of relevant things, but no strong personal drive or confidence, versus sunk all my stats into charisma and luck, but basically nothing in wisdom. Anyway, this earthquake thing. Um, it works for a bit. The water actually turns against Meryl. Its ally is now its enemy. But you know, Meryl knows surf, so it recovers. And, and then it's not long before Golem is completely submerged. And that's it for the battle. Mom's Pokemon have to come out and resuscitate poor Golem. It, it just was not meant for water battles. Poor thing. And Flint apologizes to his Pokemon, as right he should. Golem, go home, put your feet up. Have some cocoa and take a vacation. You look like you need one. Brock helps the recovery process along with a hair dryer, uh, which at first just seemed funny, but then he actually drops some interesting information. Brock explains that the reason water is harmful to rock Pokemon, um, or at least to many of them, is, is that the water doesn't hurt them so much as it lowers their internal body temperature. And I guess being that they're rocks, they don't bounce back from that quite the same way a mammal might. Drying off Golem's shell means it radiates more infrared heat and warms up faster. Which is kind of interesting to know. Future doctor in the house. But the same thing has been suggested of the fire types too, like with Charmander's tail flame going out. And, and Charizard. Like, obviously, you don't want to completely submerge it often, but an adult Charizard can relight that flame if it's healthy. It's been done. But if the tail is wet and that internal temperature is dropping, you know, Charizard or Charmander starts getting sick, then that flame gets weaker and weaker and they don't have the strength to keep it lit and, and they could die. It seems they suffer less from being touched by water than they do from losing body heat from spending a lot of time in the water or the rain. I just thought that was cool, and Forrest agrees with me. Brock learned a lot on his Pokemon journey. His baby brother finds him very impressive. And that's nice because Brock, leaving the gym and the family tradition, as it were, taking on a new profession that also takes him away from his family and leaves the younger kids in the care of those two clowns they're calling parents, some siblings might be resentful of that. Like, Brock did the responsible thing, and, and he stayed with the family, with the kids who needed a guardian, until a semi-responsible adult came back and, and stepped up to that responsibility. Like we learned in his debut episode, he'd been wanting to leave for years, but, you know, he couldn't. Not as long as his siblings needed him. He couldn't leave them alone with nothing because they'd all starve and die. Like, he did the right thing by, by not leaving until he knew that they would be taken care of. But the fact is, he did leave them. And sometimes it's harder for younger kids to kind of weigh all those factors together. To see that Brock is, is happy and that he's growing in his skills and as a person and, 
Like for Forrest to see that the sacrifices his family made or had made for them in order for Brock to be able to go off on his journey, that, that all that's worth it, it, it's good, it's sweet. Well, back to mom and dad. Mommy Lola isn't a sore loser. Like she tells Flint he fought well and, and he's like back at you, compliments her use of surf. And we, we learn that their first battle, their, their meet cute, as it were, is how they fell in love. It was a Pokemon battle. They were attracted to each other's mutual Pokemon battle skills. And today's battle has rekindled their love. Cue the music. We're in a rom-com now, folks. And Brock's like, I'm glad you two have found marital bliss, but the gym. He says he'll battle Lola himself before Pewter Gym turns into a water-type gym. And I can hear Misty miles away screaming, And what's wrong with water-type gyms? But remember, the PIA is currently going through their sweep, clearing out the gyms that aren't up to code or just unnecessary. Which is good, because remember, Kanto has too many gyms at this point, and all of them are bonkers, and some can't even be found anymore, and one was run by a girl with untreated mental illness that caused her to do violence on the community, and one was a front for the mafia boss, like... Kanto's gym system needed an overhaul so badly, and Pewter needs to get itself together before Nurse Joyce shows up. So we take a little time to do that. Uh, Flint and Lola clear some things between them. He was worried she took up all her hobbies because she was bored with him, and then he left for his own thing, and so she left for her own thing. There was a lot of misunderstandings, one of the major ones being that when you have nearly a dozen children, uh or any children at all, the law requires that one adult stay with them and make some effort at taking care of them. <laughs> Brock's parents are great characters, but they are terrible people. But like Flint and Lola, they kind of get their act together as a as a unit. They've cleared all that air between them, and, and, and Flint seems happier, at least. That's something. A little bit more confident, which is useful. You'd kind of hope that the gym leader kind of feels confident in what they're doing and, like, you know, good about their life in general. Have their personal lives sorted out. But they're still, like, not great. And from this next dinner scene, I get the feeling that Brock doesn't like his parents. He just kind of tolerates them. Like, I'm sure he loves them in the way that you always love and care about your family, even you know, during the not-so-healthy interactions, but he clearly has no interest in bonding with his mother and, and getting to know her better, like, despite the fact that he hasn't seen her for who knows how long. He, all he cares about is, like, the gym. Let's deal with that. There, there's no warmth towards her, no, no deference, and why would there be? His dad leaving on a Pokemon journey was normal, because everyone in this culture does that. It's, it's just a profession, like you know, commuting to work or being a traveling salesman or something, truck driver. Him never coming back, not so normal. But Brock's mom is the one that was responsible for taking care of all those children and went, you know what? I don't feel like it anymore. I'm going to go yodeling. <laughs> She's the one who left him in charge of all his brothers and sisters. Because she was bored. Like, I imagine there's all sorts of Freudian resentment issues going on here. And, and it's not helped by the fact that Lola doesn't take him seriously. 
Like, it seems she doesn't take a lot of things seriously. But she talks to Brock kind of like he's five. Like, oh, that's so cute. You're so funny. You want to have a battle with mommy. He's adorable when he's angry. Like, those types of things. Like, she just dismisses his anger and everything he says and, and tells the kids that, you know, the pewter gym is now a combined rock and water gym. And now I am all for combined gyms. And Flint is right, like, it will make the pewter gym unique. But when Forrest takes this news hard and claims it'll make them in their gym the laughingstock of Kanto, I agree with him. Because it's not like Flint and Lola have a passion for being the first combined gym in Kanto. It's not like they've thought of the unique challenge that they'd present to trainers, or how their Pokémon could maybe complement each other, or... Like, they even believe this is valuable and necessary for trainers to experience. They haven't thought about anything, really. Lola's only doing this so the gym can stay cute and they can have a pool. Flint's only doing it because it makes Lola happy. Even though he's already proven he can't battle with his Pokémon in that environment. The only one who's given any thought to how the pewter gym is going to work, or even wants to be a gym leader, is Forrest. When Brock left, he started thinking of someday filling those shoes. So Brock goes to talk to his kid brother. And I love their icebreaker conversation, like all the stuff about, like, this is where I come to be alone, the first peace and quiet I've had all day. Because I too, and the oldest of many siblings, I understand this sentiment so much. Like, it doesn't surprise me that Brock goes off on a Pokemon journey and rarely comes home. Like, immediately after my high school graduation, like, not even a week after, I up and moved to another country. And it was like, oh my gosh, peace and quiet. I can shut the door and be alone. This is what it's like to not have people within arm's reach at all times. It was an experience I'd never had before. Like, to be able to look up and not see human beings. Like, even if you love your family to bits, when there are a lot of people, it gets hard to carve your own space and just the noise, the noise. Like, I just remember my senior year just being so angry all the time. There's just people everywhere, loud people. Brock got to leave. Forrest still has to live with it. But Brock soon turns the subject on his brother, probably because he doesn't actually have anything he particularly wants to share about girls, so... Uh, but Forrest, he's very close to getting his first Pokemon, and he's old enough, or almost old enough, to go on a Pokemon journey. And if Mom and Dad are just going to ruin the gym like that, then why stick around? He's out. He's taking off. Maybe in a few years, he'll come back and challenge his parents and try to take the gym back. So, time. Aging. It happens in the Pokemon world. We're just... Still not sure exactly what the criteria is and how these milestones are measured. Uh, but Forrest asks Brock if he thinks it's a mistake to have been focusing all his training on rock types. Because that's Forrest's area of expertise. He, you know, probably learned from the Pokemon that were always hanging around the gym pre-Lola's return. Um, but as much as he wants to be the master of rock types... He recognizes that Rock has a pretty significant disadvantage against the water type, among other things. To put all his focus on that one type, you know, it's not the greatest defense in the world, much as appearances would suggest otherwise. And all of us who have played the Game Boy games know this. 
You picked Bulbasaur if you wanted to breeze through everything. Squirtle was sort of a medium mode, like it got you through the first gym easily. And then you picked Charmander if you just hated yourself. And if you played yellow, by the time you got out of the pewter gym, it, like, didn't matter that you had a type advantage against Misty. You were already grizzled, battle-hardened, and, like, level 25, cause stupid defense curl. Water types breezed through the rock gym. Grass types, too. But remember, the anime is not like the games, and out in the real world, there's this, well, the real world, there's this kid named Ash Ketchum who basically looks at the type advantages and then giggles to himself that people still think that's a thing. And he taught Brock everything he knows. Brock tells Forrest that the best part of Pokemon battles is learning to overcome weaknesses and defy expectations. And a rock can beat a water type if you put in the effort to find out how. He promises to show Forrest himself tomorrow. So in the morning, he heads over to the family gym, where Flint and Lola are getting ready to open the new joint gym and have painted this wonderful stone sign. But Brock refuses to accept it. The Blastoise and the Golem can't work together enough to hold up the sign. He's resolute. He's challenging his mother. And if he wins, the water Pokemon have to pack their bags and go. Out of the gym. Like, I'm sure he's not kicking them out of the house. They're Lola's Pokemon, as long as she's a member of the family, so are they. Like, I think Brock would take the Pokemon over his mother, most days. It's not like Brock hates water types, or hates water type gyms, or hates the idea of a combined gym, even. What he seems to hate is the fact that Flint and Lola aren't listening to him and his siblings. They're not listening to their own Pokemon, like... Golem, who cannot spend time in the water and has no other places to stand, or Blastoise, who seems to be a friendly thing but hasn't yet figured out how to work with Golem to even do something as simple as moving signage around. What Brock seems to hate is that Flint and Lola think they can just change mastery of a Pokemon type like it's paint on a wall, like the pewter gym is just a nook in the house to be decorated. Like, training Pokemon is an issue of, or that the service a gym provides to the challenging trainers and the community can be decided on a personal whim. Remember, all throughout Kanto, Misty was on the books as being a gym leader, but Brock had the experience, and he took that title, you know, even the title of former gym leader, very seriously. That job meant something to him. He took pride in it. There were some episodes where he acted like that gave him a sort of responsibility to the Pokemon community and Pokemon trainers. Like, being a gym leader held him to a higher standard than maybe just an average person. Like, a Pokemon gym had weight, it had meaning, and now his parents are being like, yeah, why don't we make it a water type now? I don't feel like doing this or that. They're... They're treating the gym the way they used to treat their kids, something that if they get bored with it, they can just do something else. And, you know, what the gym needs, or the family needs, in order to work doesn't matter. And what its future could be doesn't really matter. What it wants to be or should be or needs to improve or whatever doesn't matter. Just what Flint and Lola want in this moment and if they change their mind, they can just move on, because the gym, like their family, 
is pretty much a diversion there for their amusement, not a responsibility with consequences. And to Brock, the gym is synonymous with his home. It's part of his family, part of his life, his legacy, and that of his siblings. It matters. Like, I think there are circumstances where the pewter gym could someday evolve into a combined water rock gym, and Brock might be okay with it. Like, if that was something Forrest, you know, felt really passionate about doing and went about it in a way that, you know, was good for the family, too, and good for his Pokemon, whatever. But there is never any set of circumstances where Brock would think that the type of the gym doesn't matter. Like, you can just strip it off and change it without any thought. It's like saying that he and his training and his discipline and everything he's worked for, the dreams of his brothers and sisters, it's like saying that doesn't matter. So even though it's not really his gym anymore, Brock is very much personally invested in this. And so the battle begins. Brock and Lola stand at opposite sides of the field, uh, which is, remember now, a pool. Brock chooses Onyx, who has to balance on this tiny, like, pebble. Lola chooses Mantine. And Brock's first move is to use Dig. Drain the field, change the terrain. Brilliant strategy came up in seconds. Like, you can hear, he's so happy to go first. Um, and now we're back to a ground that Onyx can move on, and Mantine can't. So Mantine's a sitting duck for what comes next. Dig knocks it into the air. Um, it uses Bubble Beam on the way down, but then Onyx grabs it tight with Bind, and from there Mantine can't do a lot. Lola tries for Confuse Ray, but it fails. Um, another Bubble Beam gets Onyx to release Mantine, who can keep the Bubble Beams coming, but then Onyx slams Mantine with its tail. And that's the knockout. Onyx looks so happy! Um, that's it, you know? The gym stays a rock type. And Lola... Lola doesn't care, which, again, is proof that she should not be making decisions about the gym. She does petition to keep the decorations, though, and Brock's like, yeah, whatever, because it doesn't seem Flint minds, and unfortunately, he is still the gym leader. In name, since this is going to be Forrest's training ground for the eventual takeover, he can keep Dad in line and keep him on his toes, and he'll even have a Pokemon to do it with. Because Onyx, you know, seems to like a good battle. I mean, it it got its training as a gym leader's Pokemon. And Brock doesn't do that sort of thing so much these days now that he's a breeder. Onyx doesn't get to battle a lot. So it's sad to part ways with a friend, but, you know, Onyx knows all of Brock's siblings, grew up with them. It's been with Brock since, like, Brock was 10. It's part of the family. And it'll have a lot more fun training for battles with Forest than, you know, just chilling in its Pokeball. So Onyx is going to stay at the gym and become Forest's first Pokemon. It and Forest are going to train each other. And hopefully remind Flint that that's kind of the point of having a Pokemon gym. And yeah, with a permanent junior trainer in residence, I guess Flint will, you know, actually have to do his job more often. Uh, and so, now Brock is ready to get back on the road again. After all, the family business is cleared up, and there's only so much of his parents he can take. So he leaves, promising that when he gets back, he and Forrest will have a battle. And where is Brock going? 
Tahoen in his brand new outfit. This is my favorite of Brock's costumes. I love it so much. It's a good design. He and Ash made out great this region. They just look fantastic. And that ends the episode. I, I just love episodes where we get to see Brock's family because it's such a rich ground for, for character development and interaction like that goes unsaid. Because I guess for the nature of a children's show that this is, like, there's only so deep you want to go into those waters. But I love that all this rich, like, tension in the family is there. All the, all the little details. And, like, they don't pretend that, like, our parents are back, everything's okay. Like, it's, it's not okay. And Eric Stewart plays it really well. Like, Brock does not respect his parents at all. When he talks to them, you can tell that he's got, like, some issues that he's not gonna, you know, get into a huge fight over, but he's very much angry and resentful about them. A little bit bitter. Like, it's the little things like this that make Pokemon, like, a truly great show, I think. Other details about characters and backstory and things that go unsaid, and even when, you know, there's stuff that in any other show for an older audience you would deal with directly, and maybe they can't in, in this particular show, they don't pretend it's not there. They, they allow it to live and breathe, and that's, that's just cool. It just gives it, like, a sense of realism. Like, we don't get, you know, the big, angry discussion between Brock and Lola that must have happened at some point in the Orange Islands, or at least tried to happen. I'm, I'm sure Lola just brushed it all off. But just because it didn't happen on screen doesn't mean it's not part of Brock's character. But that's it for today. Next episode will be about Misty. We'll see what she's been doing, and, you know, if her gym is maybe as in a good place as she left it. If you want to share your thoughts on that or anything else, you should head on over to peekappypodcast.blogspot.com. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at peekappypodcast. You can find us on iTunes, Zoom, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Or even send an email to peekappypodcast at gmail.com. All those fun places. Uh, but most of all, thank you for listening. Until next time, this has been Peek Happy Podcast. Gotta catch them all. Bye.